Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast. Um, this week we are going to be giving you a Berlin conference update uh, throughout. So um, we're going to be talking about the mood of the event, how the big four hotel companies are looking at the space going forward and some other key takeaways from the event. My name is Chris Bowne. I'm the web editor at Hotel Analyst. Uh, I stayed back at home. But uh, out on the trip to Berlin was uh, Andrew Sankster, our uh, editorial director, and also Catherine Dogrell, our perspective editor, who, as you will hear, spoke to a lot of people, perhaps spoke a little bit too much. Anyway, she hopefully her voice will hold out for this uh, podcast. So first of all, let's talk about uh, the Berlin conference and the overall mood. Catherine, what did you sense? Uh, yes, my key takeaway seems to have been emphysema, but far from that, <laughs> it's neither here nor there. I don't think we can blame the cigars at the Collier's party for that. Um, <clears throat> but yes, my, my key key takeaway, um, apart from this kind of Victorian respiratory disease, was um, just overwhelming, completely overwhelming enthusiasm from the stage. Uh, nothing's going to stop them now, not OYO, not a downturn, not Brexit, not the OTAs, not anything else at all. Hotels are going to take over the world and it's going to be utterly remarkable and amazing and nothing can possibly hinder us, isn't it all great? Um, uh, there was a, a little bit more caution on the sidelines, um, some uh, certainly from some of the brokers. <clears throat> who think maybe now is not the best time to be selling your hotels. But there certainly appear to be an inordinate volume of investors still looking to pile in, um, as we've seen this week with lots of um, action antics around the asset management end of the market. But uh, yes, colossal raging over enthusiasm was definitely the theme. So Andrew, uh, should we be thinking a recession is therefore on the way? <laughs> uh, well, if you're Italian, it's already here. I mean, Germany just you know by the skin of its teeth avoided a technical recession in the in the final quarter of last year uh, france saw a huge slowdown in growth and um, brexit finally caught up with uk gdp and i, th I think our q4 gdp growth numbers year on year was 0.2% so uh, clearly there's a very very significant slowdown afoot now a lot of that admittedly for for our sector a lot of that's being driven by industrial a downturn and um, what's happened in china in terms of the slowdown there has hit germany quite badly which is why they that they've seen their growth suddenly come off the boil um and then of course there are other sort of general structural issues in, with regard to the eurozone and dear old brexit here in the in the uk all of which are uh factors which re didn't really ought to directly be impacting the hotel sector just yet but none, nonetheless i think it's a brave person that's going to declare that the hotel industry has broken free of the economic cycle and as we enter a bit of a slowdown clearly the top line is going to slow down but I'm going to be even more pessimistic, actually, than just the economics. Um, I think there are a number of other things which are a bit of a worry for our sector. If we look at supply growth, and now Robin Rossman, um, the head of STR Global or STR's International Managing Director or whatever he's called now, um, what Robin, in his excellent presentation, actually, at the conference, um, showed um, was how much 
there are problems in Germany with double-digit increases in supply and a prospect of Revpar slowdown. He said it was very hot in Europe in 2017 and 2018. It's going to be um, a lot cooler now. I think it's going to get distinctly chilly. And I think with supply increases in the double digits in the four main cities of Germany, double-digit supply increases, so in Berlin, in Frankfurt, in Munich and Hamburg, all seeing this big supply growth uh, and we know why because the German market's super hot right now this is going to have a very big impact I think on Revpar uh, my own personal forecast I think we're going to get into negative territory um, in Germany um, this is very bad news I think um, in terms of how people are you know this is the big expansion hope um, so I, I think it's quite challenging but we've got these these double digit increases elsewhere as well across Europe so or close to double digit so Amsterdam is up uh, nearly eight percent according to this is pipeline that's in the ground and due to open in 2019 these numbers and when I say eight percent I mean so it's eight percent of the existing hotel stock is being added in 2019 in Amsterdam and so double digit increases being added in all of those German cities we've got 10% coming in Edinburgh 7% in Manchester 7% in Liverpool 6% in Leeds uh, 4% in London all of this even that 4% in London is significantly ahead of what the growth in demand is likely to be so this is this is not uh, it's a great environment and I think this supply demand imbalance is the key uh, determinant in terms of hotel performance if you're judging it on that traditional top line aspect of Revpar and if you drill down to the bottom line I think things are looking just as grim there because what we're seeing we're seeing growth in distribution costs we're seeing significant growth in labour costs and this is not just Brexit Britain not being able to attract anyone anymore uh, undoubtedly the case in terms of the UK but there are, is growing labour costs throughout the continent and if you talk to Germany operators or French operators they're, they're, they're moaning about labour costs as well um, and, and, and so you know it feels very very peak market to me and if now I know you can't say the past is a guide to the future but if you look at the cycle we're, we're good 10 years in now now there was talk because of the weird nature of the crash in terms of it being such a phenomenal monetary event um, that this is going to be a slightly extended cycle and so it's been but I think we're clearly in a downturn I don't think we're going to jump off a cliff this is not 2009 this is not the early 1990s um, but it's going to get tough for the next few years. And this wasn't reflected amongst the, the, the people attending in Berlin. And, you know, if you, if you spoke of these things, you're accused of talking down the market. Uh, I'm not talking down the market. I'm simply pointing out market realities. See, now you say that, Andrew, but Ackle launched two brands while we were in Berlin. So really, can the world be that bad? <laughs> Yes, we're about to jump into that, aren't we? Talking about the, the what the big boys are up to. So let, let's go into that one. Should I? Should I just jump straight in there, Chris? Go and, on um, with yes, off you go. Yeah, yeah. Off with our call. So both Catherine and I sat. We were very good, actually. We looked like um, very compliant um, children sitting at the front or nearly at the front of the Accor press conference. Well, uh, I'm not sure our questions were as compliant as they could be. Somebody had a go at me at the, at the airport on the way back about one of them. Oh, mm. Well, that's good. That's good. You should be proud yeah. of that. It's a badge. Uh, um, we should be asking the tricky questions. Um, 
So Accor Live Limitless is their new loyalty scheme, and we've criticised that, and I'm not going to get too into that and give them another knocking, although it has to be pointed out that everybody I quizzed on the acronym could not remember the acronym, including some people who were... Um, employees of Accor who shall rename nameless for obvious reasons but um, uh, so we yeah I think there's profound issues with the loyalty scheme but overall I'm a big fan of what Accor is doing with its brands I think of all the global majors it seems to have understood what the sharing economy whatever that term means but but the the digitization of our industry what it's actually doing and the impact it's having with consumers and i think they're responding in a way which makes sense and is uh, well it remains to be seen how, how, how well it works out but i think in terms of having a go they are certainly having a go um, far more than their global major rivals um, I, I like a lot in terms of their new types of brands whether it's joe and joe or mama shelter which they've obviously bought into or 25 hours again which they've bought into but just just briefly because you can never avoid as a journalist just being on the negative but um you know so sebastian bazan was up there ceo saying we've got we're going to do this funky great new loyalty scheme we're going to go from 30 percent um by 20 and by 2022 we're going to have 40 percent of our bookings are going to come through people doing it through our loyalty scheme well that sounds mm, that's okay until he said right now merits at 60 percent so even after all this this spend this 225 million euros that they're still only going to be um in last place amongst their global major peers which it remains an issue um and my, my, what what i would urge them to do is to focus on all of the great things they're doing around brands and this notion they call of augmented hospitality which is where they've got these bits of accor which nobody quite understands what they do things like john paul and um one fine stay and all the other bits and bobs on one hand and then they've got on the other hand their um loyalty scheme partners uh Qantas and uh Europe car and these sort of people um and what the the idea is that they're bringing together and actually loving and touching their customers much more frequently than they historically have been which makes a lot of sense I think that's where the, the loyalty scheme really does make sense what my worry is that it's going to be seen as you have to book via our loyalty scheme to get any of the benefits i really hope they don't go down that that road and if they do go down that road i think what they're saying is oh we are not actually as customer centric or guest centric as we originally claimed and if they fail to acknowledge that you can book any way you like and still belong to or live limitless um what they are saying is well you know you know what we are much more interested still in the, the functionality of our corporate than we are in terms of genuinely getting to know and love our guests and one final point just as um as an observation here this is a big big thing um, and it's, it's going to be a truly challenging thing for Accor to push all this over the line they've got big battles ahead and one of those battles i think is persuading the owners that they are heading in the right direction an interesting one for it to make sense for Accor they've got to start taking a fee percentage across all these different other bits of the business they're they're pushing forward not just their rooms and they said at this uh, conference on a Q&A 
um, answer that um, Sebastian Bazan said that they are looking to charge fees now on F&B as well as on rooms. This is going to be quite challenging, I think. It's going to be a challenging conversation with owners to get this through. But, you know, if they, if they can do it, um, I think they'll be in a lot better place. I'm present by their absence because um, Arnie Sorensen was off chit-chatting to the Senate about their data breach, um, which seemed to go fine. As we heard from their results um, last week, it had no impact on their RevPAR. Um, so all's well that ends well. We'll see how it goes in the EU, whether GDPR becomes an issue, but it all seems to be going quite well. You can lose millions and millions and millions and millions of pounds worth, um, millions of, uh, of different data points and everything seems to work out uh, quite well. Although obviously any future M&A probably take a bit of a closer look at that. But um, yes, um, Marriott instead showed me um, a magnificent table which they have for their Sheraton, new Sheraton relaunch, um, which has many, many exciting features. Um, uh, lockable drawers, a, a light that comes off it. Um, it's all meant to promote the sort of um, co-working which and um, change of use in, in public spaces, which of course Accor have been busy pushing and it's all about community and bringing things in from outside and being able to lock the drawers in case that community makes off with your phone while you've gone to the coffee bar that sort of thing so that Sheraton is, is picking up some of the hints and tips that the other companies have been looking at and of course which has been all pushed forward by the likes of Airbnb bringing different different thoughts about what we should do in our conservative sector so that was fun that was Marriott um, and who else do we have oh, Kristen Setter of course um, talking about what had happened at Hilton and much the same at Hilton. Um, I, it was an, an interesting presentation from um, Chris Nassetta, but I think one which many in the audience found was... Uh, it was an interview, I think, no, technically. I think technically. Technically, technically <laughs> it was a presentation. <laughs> technically. <laughs> it was a series of things which many of us may have heard before, and somebody was there to, I think, remind him down the course of the script what it was he was supposed to be saying. Oh, I which I that. believe... <laughs> I believe that is a presentation <laughs> at that point. So, yes. So, um, I wasn't sure we hadn't heard anything we didn't know from Hilton. Um, well, then, did you find out anything interesting about some of the uh, smaller, lesser niche players who are uh, out there in um, the marketplace? Well, I mean, Anyone else I mean going back to Hilton in some ways, um, <laughs> Amal Lavani was very good um, from Standard. Uh, of course, they're an interesting bunch. But um, and they tend to be at, at the forefront of really swanky, delightful, spiffy things, which I will never go to and never understand, um, which is ideal, which is why they're at the cutting edge. Um, um, but what they were saying um, with, with um, reference to all the launch of all these loyalty programs and these multiple brand portfolios is that the way to get somebody to repeat book at your, at your hotel is for them to have a good experience at your hotel. And it seems, desperately obvious um but they are banking quite heavily on it and i think they may have something there so um yes they, they also found that the way to bring people together and have a good experience uh, possibly involving the community in your hotel is is to have good public spaces once again hats off to amar i think but uh, so they're, they're pushing that and they seem to think that they may have somewhere to go with it. One of the interesting things he did say actually about the influence of um, the sharing economy or the home sharing or however we're, we're, whatever we're talking peer-to-peer -peer lodging um, at the moment was that um, in their office, which obviously is full of young hip people who do all the things that I should never know about, um, was that they, when they go to book holidays, they think about alternative accommodations first 
rather than hotels in the way that um, maybe those of us who don't work for Standard and maybe do wear socks in our trainers, um, maybe that's the way that we seem to think of things. And that's something certainly for the sector to consider if this is the way that people in their office and possibly other offices other than at the Standard are thinking. So, interesting. Did you not think he had trainer no, socks? No, definitely didn't. Though? Definitely didn't have trainer socks on. Ones. No, no, they were really low slung oh. trainers. I had a good look. I was right down the front. Oh. Yeah. Good to be on. Top yeah, no, totally, totally. That's what. That's why I go. <laughs> so my 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 um, exciting little um, company is not doing them a disservice call them little but i mean interesting company is uh, seiko the service department company now ceo there is stephen mccall who described himself as a refugee from the big brands and of course stephen was until the beginning uh, until the beginning of last year he was the coo europe at ihg so he does know a thing or two about big brands now I, what i liked about Seiko there are a couple of things I think the first was there that what they're talking about is how all the sort of hospitality segments are all merging into one big thing and so they're taking extended stay and merging that with this boutique lifestyle hotel concept uh, the other thing is just how focused they are on the needs of owners so they were talking about uh, their gross operate gross operating profit conversion um, which is has hit 70% at their lock um, in London and um, which is you know it's usually below 40% for most most hotel brands so that, that's a, you know a very tempting prospect I think and they're very focused on that in terms of their rollout they want to grow fourfold over the next few years so it's going to be quite a fun company to watch actually in terms of their approach and what they're going to try and do um, and I think you know that they are very much to in that standard mold as in the standard hotel company mold um, of thinking about the product thinking about um, how they can make that as good as it can possibly be and just stopping obsessing about all this other um, distribution piece and thinking that they've got to own the distribution channels to own the customer no you don't you just you get to know your customer use all the distribution channels available all those retail um channels which are out there use them all but focus on actually exploiting them to their best effect and getting to know your customer and delivering and learning from those different retail channels which i'm hoping Accor is going to be focused on um jumping back to them and, and pushing forward um the product itself and pushing forward that that guest experience and I th really think that's the future for for these operating companies and the uh, owning companies which are there I mean I've got one one other final thing to say um, in terms of Berlin the other theme that really came through from chatting to people on the sidelines not really so much on the stage was just how interested people are in getting a slice of the opco now so it used to be a case you had people who just wanted to play with the propco they were just all about that they were um, buying low selling high la 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 all of this that 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 particular way of doing business i think has gone now in this this world of uh, low interest rates it's much tougher um to try and do that turn these days and i think they they understand you've actually got to transform the product itself uh, transform the property and if in the process of that transformation the 
the opco is critical and having a slice in that opco is seen as a way to benefit from that transformation um, of the overall real estate piece and uh, you know you, you're seeing that interest asset managers now in terms of the the deals that have been done so we've, we've, we've had um, a couple of asset managers which have had real estate investors get on board with them and are now co-investing and forming co-investing uh, approaches um, and i think we're going to see a lot more of this kind of stuff and we, we're even seeing institutional investors too take an interest in the in the opco slice so i think this is a big trend we're going to see much more of over the next few years uh, with that we'll wish you goodbye we're uh, we're sending Catherine off to go and find herself a victorian tincture to solve that solve her, her little um, oh, vocal lung, problems and we'll uh, get We'll make sure she's in good form, so uh, ready for uh, next week's edition. Bye for now.